Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle! Follow me! Follow me to freedom! Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, which New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. You're getting ready for Super Bowl 56 out in Los Angeles between the Rams and the Bengals. I'm enjoying just a bit by pro football gurus Russell Baxter. We are going to preview the big game, break down the matchups, or some keys to victory. I'll have come up with Russell in just a bit. We're also going to make our Super Bowl picks and show me the money, the final edition for the 2022 season with Justin Diaz, Giant fan. Last time we talked to him, the Giants had just Fired Dave Gellman or let him retire. We didn't know about Joe Judge's future. Now they've had a completely front overhaul for an office they laid out last week on the podcast. Get his take on what's going on there. Make our Super Bowl picks. Talk about some prop bets as well. We're going to do that with Justin in just a bit. Make sure you lock in the show for the two minutes. Review the latest 30 for 30 film. The Tuck Rule. This is the infamous Tuck Rule game between the Patriots and the Raiders. Helped launch Tom Brady's career. Brady and Charles Woodson, the two key principals of that play, reunite to... Watch that game. Talk about what happened there. That's going to be at the end of the show. If you like what's going on in this podcast, feel free to subscribe. Check out the Just End the Suffering podcast on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, all of your favorite podcast platforms. Just search for the podcast there. Hit the subscribe button. You can get the episodes in your feeds as soon as they release. Feel free to your feedback and star as well. Help make the podcast even better going forward. And trust me, if you like this, let it be known. Share some feedback. Don't like it? Let me know how I can make it better. That helps to get the eyes of the audience bigger, and we can get more people watching this. So check out the YouTube page, Mike Phelps on YouTube. Video versions of the guest chats are always on the YouTube page, so check that out there. We're getting all started now with the opening tip. We're going to take a look at some of the big storylines to watch in the big game. That's coming up right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time. We're going to talk about some Super Bowl storylines here. Super Bowl week is here. It's not the sexiest matchup on paper. There's not a lot of connective tissue between the Rams and the Bengals. I mean, yes, Zach Taylor did work for Sean McVay before getting the Bengals job. He was the quarterback coach in that stage. He didn't call the play. So, again, he was also there for only two years. It's not like there was this long-term relationship between the two. The Rams have all the stall power in this game. They have the big names. They have Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham, Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Jalen Ramsey. They are playing in their home stadium, which is a big deal. Unlike Tampa Bay last year, which had some co-related capacity restrictions. This should be a full house. We'll see how the home field advantage does play out. I don't know if there'll be as much on the field. And they'll have is leading up to the game where they don't have to travel. They're staying in their own beds. That might be an advantage. We'll see how that plays out. This is the first time you see guys like Matthew Stafford, OBJ, get to be on that big stage of the Super Bowl. The Rams last year, really one year of the day of the NFC Championship game, made a gutsy move. They dealt multiple first-round picks, and their quarterback, Jared Goff, led them to the previous Super Bowl to the, to the Lions to get Matthew Stafford. It's payoff in spades. He's now playing in his first Super Bowl. OBJ also getting some redemption here. He had a very bad ending in New York. Basically, forced Dave Gallman to train him to Cleveland. Had issues in Cleveland with Baker Mayfield. He gets cut. He comes to the Rams. Everybody says, oh, he's worried about his career after football. He's fitting very nicely as the Rams' number two receiver. There's no question to me. Now, that Odell Beckham Jr., the Rams not the Super Bowl. They need another guy opposite Cooper Cobb when Robert Woods tore his ACL. So, good job getting Beckham there. It's also a big legacy game for Sean McVay, who is widely regarded as the wonder kid of NFL football, the future genius. He's already lost one Super Bowl. He has questionable coaching decisions over the past few years. Go back to the NC Championship game. He's basically throwing away his timeouts at their candy, challenging things he shouldn't be challenging. They had no timeouts left with 10 days in the fourth quarter, and it took a very, very concerted effort for the 49ers to blow that game to help them out. If he loses this game in his own building with the more talented team, there are a lot of questions about Sean McVay going forward. For the Bengals, this is a fun group that went from the worst team in football two years ago 
They had the number one pick in 2020. They took Joe Burrow. Now they're Super Bowl, which is almost unheard of. The Bengals evidence that getting the quarterback right in the NFL matters. Joe Burrow is definitely a guy who has that it factor that makes the stars. And I know a lot of people are saying, what about Justin Herbert? He has all these fancy passing stats. He has a magic arm. He is built like an Adonis. He went a couple picks after Burrow. But Joe Burrow was not a slouch. He's very talented physically. He's got guts too. He is not afraid to lead his team down the field in critical spots and win these games. The Bengals also built a talented offense around him. They have Joe Mixon running back, a talented back in this league, one of the few every down backs left. You have a trio of tremendous receivers, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, a receiver. Seeing how the Rams try to slow down those guys is going to be very interesting. The defense for the Bengals, not a lot of big names. They are very well coached. Some huge justice in the second half of the ACTL game. Credit to defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo. The Bengals started dropping eight in coverage 45% of the time after the break. Held the juggernaut Chiefs offense just three points. It's a big deal. I know it's not talked about a lot, but I think the key match of this game is in the trenches. Cincinnati's offensive line is bad. We've seen Joe Burrow be under pressure most of the playoffs. The Rams have an elite front. That can give them problems. The Ram offensive line also very good. They should hold their own as the Bengals' front four. Whoever wins those matchups likely wins the game to me. And one other thing I'll throw in there. If this comes down to a kick, I trust Evan McPherson a hell of a lot more than Matt Gay. It comes down to a kick to win the game. Let's dive deeper into this matchup now with Russell Baxter right after this call from the AFC title game, courtesy of CBS Sports' Jim Nance and Tony Romo. All right, let's look ahead because now you got him going for two and the tie changes the way the fourth quarter's played. Two yards away from a tie and coming back from 18 down on the road. P. Ryan is the back. Everything's in play. You got a motion over, use misdirection. Open. Taylor. This game is tied. 11 points in 2 minutes and 40 seconds. And Cincinnati storms back from an 18-point hole. This is a great designed drive by Brian Callahan and Coach Taylor because watch the motion comes over and he gets wide open. Taylor with a great route, but they found out how to get people one-on-one. Joining us today, Man has covered the league for a long time. He's got a lot of different things. Pro football guru, fan sided. I'm sure you can go on Twitter. You'll find a bunch more. Russell Baxter is here. Russell, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing pretty good. I have to say, I think this playoff matchup is very interesting here with the Super Bowl matchup here between the Bengals and the Rams. If I told you going into the playoffs that that was where we end up, what would you have said? Well, this is a league where... Nothing is impossible. We see it all the time. We see plenty of last to first. You know, the Philadelphia Eagles were a last place team in 2016. In 2017, they won the Super Bowl. Okay? We had three teams in the league this year that finished last that made the playoffs. Philadelphia, Cincinnati, and San Francisco. We had seven teams that made the playoffs last year, didn't make them this year. So, you see this where a team gets hot and pushes the right buttons later in the year. To me, this is not all that different from what we saw from the Tennessee Titans two years ago in 2019. Yeah, certainly true. And now we have the Bengals back in the big game for the first time since 1989. And they go through the playoffs here. They win home against the Raiders. They went, go on the road, upset the Titans and the Chiefs. What have you noticed about Cincinnati going through those three playoff games? Well, first off, when when they beat Tennessee, is the first time they won a road playoff game in the history of the franchise. And they enjoyed it so much then that they went to Kansas City and, and pulled off an even bigger comeback, tied for the biggest comeback in the championship round. You have to go back to 2006 when the Patriots were up at Indianapolis 21-3 to and wound up losing, and Peyton Manning and the Colts went to the Super Bowl. Uh, and, and unfortunately, Andy Reid's been involved in a lot of these games, uh, blowing big playoff leads. Um, you know, there's, I, I sent out a note. Um, there have been 11 postseason games in which a team came back from 18 points or more. Andy Reid's Chiefs have been involved in four of them. Three lo- losing efforts and then came back and beat the uh, Houston Texans in, in a play around. So it, I don't know. He must, he must like his suspense or anything. But Cincinnati has done this by playing complimentary football. And I know Joe Burrow's getting a lot of attention and deservedly so, 
but his receivers have come up big. And the defense that a lot of people don't necessarily talk about, they went out during free agency and got a guy named Trey Hendrickson. Okay? He's changed that defense. That team was dead last in the league last year with 17 sacks. During the regular season this year, they had 42. Yeah, for sure. He had made a big impact here. And I want to circle back on Burrow, maybe, because obviously this has sort of been his coming out party in the postseason. And when he got drafted, he sort of fell behind. It was the Bengals not good. And Justin Herbert, all the flashy numbers last year, saying he's the best quarterback in this crop. But Joe Burrow sort of shown some guts and to Moxie is sort of have these traits that the winning quarterbacks in the league in these big spots seem to have. What have you noticed about Joe Burrow, especially going down the stretch here? Well, there's an unflappable presence to him. Um, there's a double-may-care added to him, and I think it serves him well. I mean, he's with a franchise that is, you know, they're making their third Super Bowl appearance, first time since 1988. Um, it was a team that it wasn't long ago, earlier, you know, 10 years ago, they were in the playoffs five years in a row. Okay, but they couldn't get the job done. And that goes all the way back before, you know, before Marvin Lewis. I mean, they ended that long playoff drought and so on. But I think the fact that Joe Burrow doesn't necessarily have to put up these mind-boggling numbers, but but he has at times, for them to win football games. And that's what you're looking for. You're not looking for a quarterback that the team is solely dependent on. Okay, you want a balanced effort from this team. Like Joe Mixon's been terrific. Obviously, Jamar Chase, uh, you know, guy after the catch, it's unbelievable. But you know, T. Higgins, and you know, even though the offensive line gave up nine sacks uh, against Tennessee, you know, he still came out hurling and so on. So I like the way Zach Taylor has called the game. I like the way their defense has responded uh, throughout the postseason, and at times they look terrible. But it's kind of been the up and down nature of this league all year. Um, you know, teams go on winning streaks, then they go on losing streaks. Uh, but Cincinnati, you know, put everything together. They, you know, they beat the Chiefs in Week 17 at Cincinnati. They basically took the week off in Week 18, and yet they came out here uh, and have notched three straight playoff wins. And you have to—I think—you have to give credit to everyone involved. Um, and that, again, is what you need. You don't need these asterisks. And I've thrown out this stat um, for years. It's now 56 years that a quarterback led the league in passing, and none of those 56 quarterbacks, or the 56 times, has the team gone on to win the Super Bowl. You might win your fantasy league, by the way, Mike. Yeah, I didn't do that this year either, unfortunately. But I want to focus on the game a little bit more. I go to the Rams side here because the Rams really had a roller coaster of a playoff run because they blow out the Cardinals the first round. They nearly blow the big lead to the Bucks last week, find a way to win that one. And then this week they play very bad the first half. Look at they trying to give the game to the 49ers, end up coming back to win and go to the Super Bowl in their own, in their own building. So, what do you think about the Rams' playoff run here? <laughs> well. I think the most significant thing is, you know, they had lost to the 49ers six times in a row, and then they're down by 10. Um, and they showed a lot of resiliency coming back. They scored the final 13 points of the game, um, where I think a lot of people might have thought that, oh, wow, you know, the Niners just have their number. They're more physical than the Rams. Uh, but then Los Angeles got those stops. And then, you know, Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford were great during the regular season. Uh, it's not quite Larry Fitzgerald from 2008, Mike, but Cooper Cup is having quite the postseason. And, um, you know, he scored at least one touchdown in each of the playoff games, well over 100 yards receiving the last two playoff games, uh, the huge catches uh, against Tampa Bay. Um, again, not Larry Fitzgerald, which had, who had, go back, you can look it up in 2008 when the Cardinals got to the Super Bowl. He had an amazing four game stretch. Cooper Cubs had a pretty decent three-game stretch. Um, and that's a cap. Plus, they have playmakers. on the, You know, it's funny. The Rams have a quarterback that's never been to the Super Bowl. But they have a Super Bowl MVP on their roster in the form of Von Miller. Yes, Von Miller, Aaron, a lot of guys in that defense here. You mentioned Stafford has not gone to the Super Bowl. And obviously, a big part of that was playing all those years in Detroit where he – Went to a couple of playoff games, never won any, sort of 
regarded as a he's a guy who was a top pick, puts up big stats, doesn't win. Do you think now that he's gotten the Rams Super Bowl that more fans are going to appreciate how good Matthew Stafford actually is? Well, I think for, you know, he's in a situation now where it's more of a complete team. You know, I think Matthew Stafford has always been a guy who's been more passer than quarterback. Okay. Um, you see, I mean, he's got the big arm. Uh, early in his career, he couldn't stay healthy. Uh, then he could stay healthy. Um, but the organization that he was with, I mean, they haven't won a playoff game in 30 years, 1991. Um, they're one of the only franchise in the NFC has never been to the Super Bowl. They're one of only four franchises that haven't been to the Super Bowl. So um, I think he did his best. He showed a lot of resiliency around him. But, you know, he, he wanted to move on. And I understood it. And the Rams gave up a lot to give him, get him. But he, listen, let's, let's, let's be honest. He's also had some of his lapses this year as well. Um, you know, they had a little bit of a slide in the second half of the season. He was throwing his share of pick sixes and so on. But again, when you build a complete team that is not dependent on one person, you can have a bad game and still win the game. And you see all these great individual performances around the league, especially quarterback and Frankly, they're home right now. Yeah, that's true. And I feel like the star power is going to be the headline of this game on both sides. If I feel like to me, the most important part of this game is going to be, I'm sure you know as a football guy, that the battle of the trends is going to decide this football game. And the way I look at it, it seems like the Rams have a clear edge on both lines compared to the Bengals here. So what do you think about how the battle of the trenches impacts this contest? Well, I like. I will say this. I, I think the uh, Bengals' defensive line is very underrated. They don't have an Aaron Donald, but they have Hendrickson and Hubbard um, and, um, you know, DJ Reader up the middle, who they gave big money to a couple of years ago to stop the run. Um, and he's the Bengals were fifth in run defense this year. You know, that's, you know a, a year ago, they were 29th. That's a big turnaround. And again, we've seen them, you know, they got blown out kind of by Cincinnati. They got beat by the Jets earlier this year, but it's, you know, that ability to bounce back and not let things spiral out of control. I mean, look at Arizona. Once once Arizona lost, they had their issues. And you know, that's part of coaching and that's part of mindset and so on. So, again, the Bengals deserve credit. Offensive line, I don't think there's any question. Um, and by the way, uh, one guy who's probably going to be interviewed as much as anybody um, during Super Bowl week, Matthew Stafford will be one, Joe Burrow will be one. But how about Andrew Whitworth playing against his former team? Yeah, it's definitely an underrated storyline because he played a long time in Cincinnati. He's one of the oldest players to ever play in the Super Bowl. So he's going to be a huge part of this game. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I know, you know, he's been banged up down the stretch here and so on. But, you know, first off, you never know how long you're actually going to play. You know, he was with that franchise for an awfully long time and they couldn't get over the hump. And so on. And again, they had five straight years where they were in the playoffs. Andy Dalt was the primary quarterback. Um, AJ McCarron wound up starting a, a playoff game for them because he was hurt and so on. Um, but this is a franchise that's never had the success. I mean, the Rams, the Rams are the only NFL team to win NFL titles in three different cities. They were the Cleveland Rams, they were the St. Louis Rams, and they were the Los Angeles Rams. Okay, they're in the second stint with Los Angeles. The Bengals came into football in 1968, and they haven't had that success, even though they've been to two Super Bowls. They were probably, I will say this, Mike, they were probably happy they didn't see the 49ers again. They <laughs> haven't had much luck with the Niners in football. Oh, that's for sure. And I think the key for Cincinnati, obviously, has been throughout the playoffs and all that, is the, the weapons they gave Joe Burrow, so in the passing attack, the trio of Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, and T. Higgins, going to be a big matchup for on the outside. And, the Rams go some star power in the secondary. Like, how would you, you think they're going to attack the Bengal passing game? Try to slow it down. Well, I mean, listen, they're going to throw a lot of stuff at them, and so on. When you give up nine sacks in the game at any one time, you obviously have some offensive line issues, and so on. And Cincinnati is going to have to counter that with giving the ball to Joe Mixon a lot. Um, it, not only as a runner, but probably a, you know dump off and screens and so on. And remember when. They, they really kind of got back in the game at Kansas City on a screen to Perrine, um, which wound up being a touchdown and so on. So, uh, you know, the Bengals wide receiving core and Tyler Boyd is very, very under, 
underrated and so on. And, and understandably so, Jamar Chase um, having a you know unbelievable year as a rookie and so on. But uh, you know, Buffalo Bills fans will remember Tyler Boyd basically putting the Bills in the playoffs a couple of years ago uh, when the Bengals beat Baltimore at Baltimore in the final game of the season. Yeah, that's for sure. And I think another thing that's interesting to watch here is the fact that the second year in a row now, after 54 years without having this happen, they have the home team in their own stadium for the Super Bowl. And the Rams obviously have more of a home field feel because they got a full crowd in so far as years to about 25% in Tampa last year. So I know the Super Bowl fans not the same, but what kind of factors in fact having this home field will be for the Rams? Well, it'll just depend on, you know, who's your... I don't know how much of an impact they'll have because from all reports, the 49ers had an awful lot of fans at the game last week. So, I mean, I've yet to see a fan catch a touchdown pass or make a tackle, okay? But, um, you know, just comfortability as far as not having to travel and so on, where, you know, Cincinnati is obviously having to travel to the game and so on. So uh, I don't know if the crowd, but it is such an oddity. I mean, again, you go 54 years and then all of a sudden uh, back-to-back years where the team is playing uh, in its home stadium and so on. So do you imagine if it was the Chargers and the Rams? I mean, you know, it killed two birds with one stone. It didn't, it happened once in 55 years. It happened twice in the same year. Yeah, that would have been pretty crazy. And, and I mean, the Cardinals have to be hoping this trend continues next year when they host the Super Bowl in uh, Glendale. Well, uh, the way the Cardinals have gone under Cliff Kingsbury, unfortunately, uh, you know, they have to learn to close out a season. You know, they didn't, you know, they got off to a somewhat start his rookie year, but people forget in 2020, they were six and three and then lost five of their last seven and finished eight and eight. This was a seven and O team last year in Arizona uh, they wound up finishing eleven and six, technically eleven and seven, and and you know, got blown out in the playoff game at the, against the Rams. Yeah, absolutely. And you tend to have a habit. I, don't, I love following you on Twitter for this. Is that you? Ha- you always have a good eye of identifying who these X factors are in this game. We're not really talking about right now, but end up having a huge role in the in the outcome of the Super Bowl. So, who is somebody you're looking at right now, saying this person is not being discussed enough, but they could really impact the game. Well, I think I already alluded to it, Mike, and it's Tyler Boyd. Um, And last week against the Chiefs, we saw, you know, Jamar Chase is Jamar Chase. And remember, he had 266 and three touchdowns against the Chiefs. Who was the 100-yard receiver against uh, the Chiefs on Sunday? It was T. Higgins. Okay? So he came out of, and again, they're so deep there. When you you try to take one guy away or two guys away, someone else is going to burn you. So to me, again, Tyler Boyd, with this team for a number of years, seeing the lean times and so on. Uh, but that game in 2017 against Baltimore always stood out to me. And, you know, after a kind of a sluggish, slow start to his career, as he began to develop, remember for years there, A.J. Green was in the Pro Bowl every year. So I'm going to keep an eye on A.J. Boyd and him finding the cracks if the Rams secondary concentrate too much on the speedsters. Yeah, absolutely. And let's do real quick before you go. I know it's way too early to sort of predict the game, but let's give you a keys to victory here. So, like, what is the key here for the Bengals to win their first Super Bowl? Well, obviously avoid mistakes. Um, you go back and look at Super Bowl history and, uh, you know, avoiding turnovers is huge. Okay? Um, you'll see the number out there and so on. I, I want to say – Somewhere in the neighborhood of the 55 Super Bowls, the turnover differential combined, I think, is like plus 100. Okay? There's a lot of teams that have won Super Bowls and not commit turnovers in the game. Um, you have to go back and, you know, you could probably count on your finger how many times the losing team um, wound up not committing turnovers and still wasn't able to win the game. So it's, it's just it's a, a very interesting of all the numbers and so on. Um, protecting Joe Burrow is obviously important, but keeping that Rams offense off the field, that quick strike ability, who's going to be the guy who keeps an eye on Cooper Cup, um, who, like I said, is having a, a dynamite postseason uh, and had a dynamite regular season. So um, as far as the Rams and, and keys to victory, uh, again, turnovers is always important and so on. But um, I think what they need to do with Matthew Stafford is um, give him more balance, 
Okay. Now I don't know what Cam Akers is going to do. Tony Michelle has got knows a little something about playing in the Super Bowl. Okay. Um, their offensive line, if Whitworth is back, um, you know this could be a, a, a game where people were expecting a high flying shootout, and it turns out to be a ball control game. Let me also remind people one other thing, Mike. For all the offense that we have seen in this league, two of the last three Super Bowls has featured a team that did not score a touchdown. Yeah, it's a great point. You had the Rams last year, Rams a couple of years ago against the Patriots, and you had the Chiefs last year who couldn't do anything as Tampa's pass rush. Right. So you're, you know, all these points you're expecting and so on. Um, and, and listen, the Chiefs last year didn't have their starting tackles, Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher. I understand all that, but, um, you know, they were, they were sloppy with the ball. They were sloppy with penalties and so on. Um, the thing that's always been interesting, I would say in recent Super Bowls, Mike, is there doesn't seem to be a lot of scoring in the first half. Okay, especially in the first quarter. And for the teams that haven't been there in a while or not at all, like Cincinnati, there's there's certainly a degree of nerves. But don't shut off the TV in the fourth quarter because we have seen our share of fourth quarter heroics in I would say the last 10, 15 Super Bowls. Yeah, absolutely. I think the last thing I want to get, hey, mention for you, go. I think it's an interesting point here is something I brought up at the top here. Sean McVay is sort of an impact Super Bowl for him because Everybody's regarding him as the whiz kid, the future of the league, coaching sets of lyric with Sean McVay disciples. He's already lost a Super Bowl. He made some very, very curious calls in the NFC Championship game. And he got lucky that he managed to survive no timeouts and 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter on. I feel like if they lose this game, there's going to be a lot more questioning on McVay saying, is how good is he, is he really as a coach? Well, I, I will say this. I can want to say both coaches in the NFC title game made their share of kind of bizarre moves and so on. And, and I know they know each other well, but it was almost like they were outthinking themselves when facing each other and so on. Uh, but no, your point is, 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 again, we just mentioned the Super Bowl, in which they did not score a touchdown. They got three points after, uh, you know, I want to say they scored like 528 points during the regular season that year. So um, again, it's a, somewhat of a different cast. And in three years in today's NFL, it does make a big difference. Um I don't think if they wind up losing, I don't think the critics will be too tough on them and so on. I think it will just depend on the way they play. That's a lot of times, to me, the criticism comes more watching their performance than not necessarily watching the result. Yeah, it certainly makes some sense. It'll be a fun game on Sunday. Uh, Russell, thanks for all the time. really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people follow social media to keep up with all your NFL coverage? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, BacksFootballGuru. Um, ProFootballGuru is on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I collaborate with uh, my partner, Julie Boyd. Jules loves blue. She's on Twitter, as is PFG Vibe, where, uh, where we do our pieces for full press coverage. Um, so you can find us in a lot of different places. And uh, on February 13th, you can find me in my living room watching the game. That sounds good, Russell. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. You got it. Show me the money. All right, show me the money. NFL picks for Super Bowl 56 are here. Join me today. The Giant fan, we talked to him right at the start of the offseason before the Giants fired Joe Judge. Justin Diaz is back. Justin, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me on. How are you? Doing pretty good. I'd say a lot's changed with the Giants since the last time we talked. Yeah, they finally, I mean, I think we, we spoke the day before they fired Judge. Uh, they finally woke up and realized, I, I mean, I think it was just obviously they, they saw the media reactions. Maybe they were reading Twitter a little bit and they realized they couldn't, they couldn't keep doing the, the, keep the clown show going. They had to make a change. So maybe some positive steps in the right direction. Finally. Yeah, absolutely. And just on the football figure focus at the Giants, because we're going to leave the Flores lawsuit out of it. I've talked about that plenty on the podcast last week. But in terms of just on a football sure. sense, the Joe Shane, Brian Dable pairing coming here being the new direction for the Giants. How do you feel about that? I really like it. I mean, the GM search is that one I, I, I wasn't familiar with really any of the candidates beyond a surface level, just what I read. Um, but this guy, everything you read is consistently very strong, like, uh, excuse me, very positive feedback. He apparently works very hard. He started 
he started as like an intern for the Panthers and uh, the Bills have just been very well run. They've had a great run of success lately. So I really like that hire. And Dable was honestly my, and a lot of Giants fans, number one choice. He did an amazing job with Josh Allen and the Bills. Um, I had to finally positive. This is the first, I, I literally think, I'm, and the dozen times I've been on your podcast over the course <laughs> of five years, is the first positive things I'm saying about the Giants. And I know I'm very happy with both hires. It's a reason for cautious optimism, finally. Yeah, cause optimism for sure. I feel like I said, like, they've worked together. They seem to be heading the right direction. And I know this year might be painful, but again, like, this is a group that they were part of a team to help Buffalo become a big AFC threat in about three years. So you got to hope that that's the direction the Giants end up heading in the NFC. Yeah, I mean, you have to start somewhere, right? As corny as that sounds. They've just been, the Giants have been directionless and terrible for so long. It's one thing to be terrible, but if you have an actual plan in place right with decided by competent people and not by my best friend, Dave Gettleman, then you know what? There's reason for us that you should suffer through bad football if you feel like the people in place actually have a plan for the future that makes sense, not let's draft running back second overall, which I'll never get over and I'll remind everyone till the day I die. But it's, uh, I, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic for the first time since the day before they drafted Saquon. And that's not an exaggeration. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, right now, one of the big takeaways I noticed from some of their early media stuff is that Daniel Jones will be back in 2022. So he can take off the Russell Wilson rumors, no Deshaun Watson rumors. It's like Jones will come back in 2022. I think this is the correct play for the Giants. Do you agree? I 100% agree. It'd be mostly because of lack of other options. It's a weak quarterback uh, draft. Um, I don't think the Russell Wilson trade rumors are realistic. I don't think that's actually he's going to be traded. Deshaun Watson, obviously, for the off-the-field issues he has, I don't blame the Giants for not wanting to go down that route. So I don't see a purpose of bringing in someone like Mitch Trubisky or a bridge quarterback, as people like to say. You might as well give Jones one more shot, mostly because of lack of alternatives. Maybe Dable can make him look pretty good or work with him and and help him improve. I I just I, I think it's the right play for, for sure. Yeah, because I think the way I see it, I think it's the correct play. Because obviously, I do think you bring in somebody to compete with him and push him for the job. Like, I think Mario would be somebody I would look to bring in and have the way. Plus, if he gets hurt, not having Mike Glennon back as the quarterback at backup would be great. But I think you look at his two ways. Either Dable fixes him, he's competent, you guys are doing better, you have an option for the medium term in quarterback, or he stinks and you have a high draft pick, you're drafting one anyway. So I don't think there's any, any uh, losing scenario here. Agreed. There, there's as long as they're realistic about him. Like if he's average or solid, I don't want them to that mean give him a big contract extension and just go with him for the next several years. But that's you know figure that out down the road. I, I agree. He's he's there's just really no reason not to bring him back and, and start him because there's no clearly better alternatives out there. Yeah, for sure. And as you're getting ready, we are recording on Sunday the 6th, one week before the big game, the Bengals and the Rams. And I know I heard from one of our friends off the air that you may disappoint the NFC title game. I know you had some big futures going with the 49ers. Oh, yeah, that hurt my soul. I bet <laughs> on the 49ers. I bet on the 49ers to win the Super Bowl right at the start of the playoffs. They were 22 to 1. I mean, it, I just like, I, lo- I love their roster. I, I think they have a great team for the playoffs that are built. You know, they're, they're one of the few physically dominating teams left in the league that, that primarily runs the ball. So I thought they had a good chance of making a run. They, they, were, they were pretty lucky to even be in the conference championship game. But, I mean, they were there up 17-7. And I don't remember the defensive back's name, but Matthew Stafford basically threw a punch to him. And the guy just had a drop it and fall, but he, he dropped it. I mean, excuse me, he had a catch and, and fall, yeah. but unfortunately he dropped it. And that, that was the turning. One of my, I was at a bar with a few of my friends. One of them turned to me and goes, that's the turning point of the game. And unfortunately it was right. So I, it was a fun, it was fun. It's always fun when you have a bet like that going. It's the game. I think it's a great matchup and it's nice to have some new blood in the, in the game. We don't no more Tom Brady, no more, uh, I, the Chiefs are finally they, they they're not back in so yeah it's it's, it's an exciting matchup yeah it, it is for sure and I, I did a little bit of Super Bowl betting special here last week on the podcast sports greats Kevin Wall I'll talk about some of our favorite game related props and there's some interesting stuff out there do you have any props you're looking at right now you're saying hmm, I'm gonna play this one on the Super Bowl 
I love Odell Beckham as the first time, first touchdown scorer. And and there's no there's no rhyme or reason behind that other than I, I've just always loved Odell Beckham. He was my favorite player when he was on the Giants. I've always rooted for him. I think he's got an unfair rap. So I'm just he's been having a phenomenal postseason. He he looks great again. And I, I just I just have a good hunch on that. It's plus eight hundred on FanDuel right now. Uh, that 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 would be one of my go tos. Uh, what do, what do you have going on? Yeah, I'm gonna look at a lot of the Cooper Cup stuff for sure because I mean he has so many interesting numbers here. I mean, I think the one Kevin mentioned last week I think I like is his longest reception over 29 and a half yards. I feel like that's a lot to hit. Yeah, that's the yeah, I agree. It feels like every play he gets wide open behind the entire defense, and you're like, how how are you forgetting to cover the guy that had 2,000 yards almost this year? Um, he, he torched the 49ers too. That was getting frustrating, but yeah, there's there's a that, that's a definitely a good one. I think I'll put that one in too. But um, I haven't really looked too much other than that, though. I should I should take a look before the game. Yeah, I'm going to do some more research this week because I haven't really laid any money down yet because I want to see not only that, I want to see some of the ridiculous other props that come out here, like the coin toss and the halftime. I want to see if any of those are actually worth it because you've thrown some shekels on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah there's always fun ones. And as, as again, as Giants and Jets fans, we know we're not actually going to be in the game. So the props are, are where it's at to keep ourselves entertained. Yeah, for sure. And let's get to the to the pick, which is the reason why you are here this week. Our good friend Joe Chaffee was here two weeks ago. We did the conference championship round. He went 1-0-1. He took the Bengals getting the seven points, and he pushed on the Rams negative three, um, laying the three. So he, he got the win that week. You, and you you picked against him, or was it? How did that work? I went oh one and one. I had the I went heads up with him on the Chiefs, and I pushed on the on the Niners. We went up heads up on both picks, but he got the one win. Oh, got it. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. I'm curious what your pick is. I have a feel. I, I have a gut feeling it's going to be the same, though. But we'll see. Yeah. So on the year, the challengers are 29, 34, and three, seven, four, one. The plus they beat me in the playoffs. On 32, 32, and two, three, eight, and one. The playoffs. I had a really rough divisional round. Put you behind the eight ball there. Yeah, I mean that, that was. Uh, that, I actually don't even remember who I took that week, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, I we'll see if we have the same pick or not for this game. Yeah, absolutely. So now we're going to go ahead. We're going to do our final pick of the season here. We're going to do Super Bowl 56. We're going to go Sunday, 640 on NBC. The Bengals and the Rams. The Rams are laying four points. Justin, who are you taking? I'm taking the Rams. Uh, I think if if you want me to put a score on it, I'll say Rams 30, Bengals 24. I just think the Rams are a better team across the board. Uh, their pass rush is incredible, and the Bengals' offensive line struggled pretty much the whole season. It's actually incredible that Burroughs played as well as he has. Uh, Aaron Donald and, and Von Miller should have a big game. Uh, I like them to win. I love Joe Burrow. I love Jamar Chase. I think they're going to have some huge plays. They'll, they'll keep it interesting, and it'll come down to late in the game, but I, I'm, I'm picking the Rams. Yeah, I'm going there with you. I'm taking the Rams laying the four points, too. I think for me, this game, I think it's not being talked about enough. I think the battle in the trench is going to be a huge favor of the Rams. The Cincinnati offensive line stinks, and they, they, all the pressure the Rams have, whether it's Von Miller, Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, they're going to get to the quarterback. I think this going to be lower scoring people. I would play the under two on this game if I was playing it, but I think the Rams win this game Sunday 24-14, so I'm going to take the Rams. I'll be right there with you. Great. Yeah, no, I, I, I think if I had a guess, I would say that's the that's the majority of people are taking the Rams. But I mean, who the heck thought the Bengals would be, even be here? So <clears throat> I'm excited to see what they can do. They're they're young and and they they feel it feels like they have that nothing to lose mentality. So we'll see. So it should be a really good game. I'm really excited for it. Yeah, just a reset. He has Super Bowl pick. Justin and I are both laying the points with the Rams, negative four. And with that. We have the picks are done for the year. I feel sad this is over because I feel like the football season just started. I know it flew by. It always flies by, doesn't it? But wait, am I the last person to go on? Like for the for the picks? You're, you're the last of the season. Oh, I'm honored. Thank you. <laughs> I feel I feel honored. I guess I'm going to wear that as a badge of honor for sure. Thank you. Yeah, because it's always fun. Because I always try and like, especially comes to the playoffs, I sort of try and get people on whose teams are in there. Because I had sort of designs of certain people, and then. Everybody whose team I had represented lost by the championship rounds. I'm like, okay, you know, I'll just go back to the giant well because we had the big news with them hiring Shane and Dable. So let's just go back there and revisit that first. Yeah, I was thinking, like, if the Giants are actually competent, you're going to have to find time to – you're going to have to fill that air of, of time where that was previously reserved for me and 
other Giants fans ranting about how pathetic they are. It's, their incompetence is clickbait. You're going to have to find something to place that. Yeah, I think right now, I think the Giants right now are going to be off the radar. For a little bit. I feel they're going to do smart things. The team I'm watching here, I mean, if they ever get on the field because the lockout never seems to end, it's like the Yankees seem to run everything back, so he might be the next target here. I know, right? It's like all the New York teams can't be good at the same time. Well, none of them can be good. Forget about they've all been good at the same time. They will take one or two being good. Oh. No, the Knicks are their own dumpster fire, too. So, Yeah, I mean, that, that was predictable. They they had a, a run of moderate success, and people got excited. But that's, then they realized Julius Randle is actually not in the number one option. So, yeah. You know, one step at a time. Let's let's just take the Giants being not a complete joke and clown show for the season. I'll, I'll I'll be happy with that. Yeah, you take that. I will take the lockout ending some point before like February, before June. That would be helpful. Also, yeah, oh, that's a mess. But what what do you think? Is that when when do you think they're gonna have any season? There's no way it's starting on time at this point, right? I think if we do not, I mean, obviously camp's not starting on time. That's supposed to start like a week from now. So that's not happening. I suspect like if we don't hear by the end of the month that they're close, that we're going to have a delayed season. Yeah, it's a shame. It's really a shame. This is, I mean, I think it's fair to say that this has been boiling since uh, the the COVID condensed season, how contentious it was just to even get on the field. So this is, I feel like this is inevitable. Yeah. Who do you blame more, the owners or the players? I don't know that much about the situation. I mean, I haven't kept up with it this year. My my gut's always to say blame the owners more, just because I feel like they're they're they're, they're the greedier side that that tries to play poor and and play the victim, and, and we don't have any money, and, and then they're obviously lying, and the sport generates billions in revenue, and even like the COVID season, they're saying they're trying to have as short of a season as possible, claiming that or pay. Actually, no, they're trying to pay, pay the players prorated. Not prorated per game. They wanted to pay them like fifty percent of their salary for the games they were playing. Like not even pay them hundred. They had a, the players had a fight to get their their full prorated pay. So when I hear things like that from billionaires trying to play the victim being poor, my gut's going to say it's it's, it's on the owners. What, what about you? Oh, it's a hundred percent the like the owners of the vast majority are the blame for this situation because they locked out. They didn't go back to the table for about forty three days and. I don't know if you how much you followed the COVID negotiations. They're basically following the same sort of protocol here, where they basically have the same amount of money they're willing to give, but they're dressing up in different ways. They're actually making actual like bargains. Yeah, exactly. And this the whole service time manipulation is, is just insane, and it's a terrible system, and it always has been. Um, it, it, the whole system. Well, the, the, I mean, now now that I'm thinking about it, I'm remembering the stuff that's been going on for the last few years. The whole free agency system of Basically, when Manny Machado and Harper were free agents and nobody went for them, like, you know, when no one in er- really gave an earnest chance at, at signing elite players that are 20, what were they, 27 or something at the time, yeah. that just shows you the system's broken. Yeah, the system is broken. And I will say it's like a lot of stuff, it's like the players are not asking for unreasonable things. Like, hey, like the sport is growing and our payrolls are not growing at the same rate. So we should be getting paid more. And the owner basically saying like, okay, well, here's this money, like, and it's the way I sort of view it is like when they said with the payroll, like like with the uh, with the prorated thing you mentioned, where they kept offering the same amount of money disguised in different ways, where it's like, okay, we'll give you 81 games worth, but at, you're paid half your prorated salary. Like, oh, how about 50, about 50 games? You'll pay se- like about 60 games. You pay 75%. Or get 40 games, you'll pay 100%. So basically getting the same exact amount of money, just changing how they worth the offer. Right, exactly. It's It's, it just seems foolish. I mean, just you're you're pissing your your labor force off just to save a million, like a few million. When long, it just seems short sighted. But you know, it reminds me of that what you were just saying. Though there's a bodega down the street from me. It's buy one. It's it's. I'm not even kidding. There's a Red Bull machine. It's one for three dollars, and then I swear to God, next to it, it says two for six. <laughs> it, always led, it always made me laugh. That's basically what the owners were doing <laughs> with, the, with the, the tricks, like like that no one was going to understand what they're doing. It's it's unbelievable. But I mean, I love baseball, as you know, and I'm, let's hope that it, it ends relatively soon, so we can get a, at least a, a like a, a somewhat presentable season, not not a completely condensed strike short season. Um, let's be hopeful, I guess. 
Yeah, I'm hoping. I mean, we still got some time. I mean, right now, I mean, let, like, as we're talking, last we heard was that the owners tried to get mediation and the players rejected the mediation because it was just a ploy from the owners to get PR support from the fans. And I think it's backfired on them. If you follow Twitter, you see all the players going out here revealing like the, how the league's bargaining actually is working. And right now, as much as I love talking to our friend Phil Freya, the legal guy here, I'd rather not be putting him on frequently updating why we don't have a deal. Rather, actually, it's previewing baseball season. Exactly, exactly. It does make for interesting discussions, but agreed. It's, we'd all be rather talking about the actual season. And, uh, yeah, I mean, your Mets are actually exciting this year, I think. So it would be a shame if they, if they miss a lot or most of the season. Absolutely. Justin, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. All right, thanks, Mike. I appreciate you having me on as always, and uh, thank you. The Two Minute Drill. All right, Two Minute Drill time. I'm going to review the latest 30 for 30 documentary, The Tuck Rule. Obviously, we're seeing the infamous game from 2001 in the playoffs in the Oakland Raiders and the New England Patriots, the last game ever at Old Foxborough Stadium. And this is a play that obviously. If you watch football, you're well aware of what happened there. We don't need to relive it, but it's been 20 years since the play. Good timing for ESPN to do a look at this, and I think this is a very fun watch. It's an hour long, which is unlike most of the 30s now, which are multi-part or, you know, 90 minutes, two hours. I think this one was the right length. It was focus pretty much on this game, a little bit of what if at the end of this, about what would have happened to call went the other way, the way it probably should have gone, but they did a good job viewing this thing. The whole premise of this is that Tom Brady and Charles was in the two main particulars in the play and former college teammates in Michigan, they reunite at Brady's mansion in Tampa, watch the game back, are basically shooting the shit about what's going on and their memories of the game, breaking stuff down and, Sort of when they get to the big play, we have a whole discussion about their perspectives on it. Good, it's a little bit uncomfortable at times when you know Charles is clearly annoyed that the call did not go his way. We probably should have, but it was a lot of fun. If you've watched the Manning cast, you watch Peyton and Eli bantering during Monday Night Football games. This is that same sort of feel where you know they're you know having a good time, laughing, pointing out things, and. The piece did a good job because they got a lot of the particulars from the game besides Brady and Woodson involved in interviews. On the Patriots side, you got Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft, Troy Brown, Treddy, Teddy Bruschi, to name a few. Raiders side, Mark Davis, the owner, son of former owner Al Davis, who's the principal owner at the time. Uh, Lincoln Kennedy, Eric Allen. A lot of the big names on that team. Obviously, the one guy who's missing in this is John Gruden. You have to imagine that in the original draft of the project that he was going to be filmed because he has a friendly relationship with ESPN NFL films who do this documentary. But I see given the email situation, how he got fired by the Raiders or resigned that became untenable. It's unfortunate you didn't get somebody else on the Raider coaching staff to be there, but I digress. It was pretty good. The crazy thing also is that they got Walt Coleman to do an interview for this, who obviously is the referee who did the review of the play. And Walt Coleman basically tells you, he immediately was convinced it was incomplete pass. It was a tuck roll. And all the players, I know what was going on. They all thought it was a fumble. Bill Belichick is also the one who knows. He says at the time, oh, I knew it was a tuck roll. I thought we were getting the ball back. Part of that, I'm sure, goes to the fact that the Patriots for years employed a guy named Ernie Adams, whose sole job was to study the nuances of the rule book and give the Patriots some strategic advantages. I'm sure that's how Bill was aware of it. They do do a video callback to a call early in the season that the Jets had that was called tuck roll. Plays do not look that similar. The Patriots obviously try and tell you, yes, same thing. It's not. We know that. The rules off the books for a reason. But the banter between Brady and Woodson is a lot of fun. It makes the the whole thing very enjoyable. It is also interesting. We do get the thoughts are a little bit towards the end. Some of the production stuff there was a little wacky. I'm going to knock the grail over because you had the black and whites, the really bad photoshops. The awkward dubbing of younger Tom Brady with current Tom Brady's voice. Talking about what would have happened there. The production value is bad on that, but the question raised is interesting here. Because obviously, that play, much more than Drew Bledsoe getting knocked out by Mo Lewis. That obviously gets Tom Brady on the field, but this play changed the fate of the NFL for the next 20 years. Because if the Raiders do recover the fumble, 
And it was a fumble. As much as Tom Brady, he admits that the motion, his intent was not to pass, but the rule does not have intent. It was obviously a horribly written rule. If the Raiders win the football game, you can debate whether they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. Charles Woodson says they would have. I don't know if they would because the Rams were a juggernaut at that point. If that happens, is Tom Brady the quarterback in New England next year? For his part, they do ask Bill Belichick about it. He kind of gives a very nondescript, wouldn't have changed anything. He's my quarterback. But again, that's 20 years of hindsight with six roll rings on, on your fingers from Tom Brady. In 2001, if Brady's the reason they lose the football game, I find it hard to believe that he gets handed the starting job back. I imagine it's at least a competition between him and Drew Bledsoe in camp. And Drew Bledsoe has a good shot to win that job. So the whole course of history could have changed right there. And Charles Woodson jokes about it. He's like, hey, like, I'm the reason that he's got the mansion. I'm the reason he married Giselle. And his life is like this because the ref missed the call. Another fun fact came out of this. I'm aware of this. I don't know how many both casuals were. The NFL never signed Walt Cumble to another Raider game in the next 17 years before, until he retired. A lot of Patriot games never called another Raider game, which always makes sense because he would have been basically dealing with potential death threats if he ever walked into the uh, Oakland Coliseum. Overall, I think this is a lot of fun. I think, yes, it did change NFL history. I think they did a good job getting the banter from Brady and Woodson, getting pretty much everybody you wanted to hear from, you heard from. Pulling Walcott was a huge plus. I think having his perspective on it was definitely nice. I give it a solid, I'll give it an A-. minus. I think it would have been an A+, plus if not for the weirdo effects they do for the what-if part of the, of the program. But, again, it's on ESPN app if you want to check it out. So, I highly recommend. If you like football, you want something quick, in and out, have some fun. I think this is a good spot to check out. All right, and that will do for this week's Super Bowl preview podcast. I want to thank Russell Baxter for hopping on here, spending some time be previewing the big game, breaking down the matchups, all that good stuff. I also want to thank Justin Diaz for coming on the horn to do the final set of picks for the NFL season. As I mentioned earlier, if you want more stuff on this podcast, including all of our Super Bowl predictions on the Just Send the Suffering Challenger team this year, as well as my own pick in a little more detail, check out the blog over at justsendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. A little programming note again. The season finale of the Book of Boba Fett is this week. The Sky Guys are back. We're going to do the finale podcast. They'll be next in your feeds over the weekend. If you don't want to wait that long, subscribe to the Sky Guys feed. It's on all of the favorite podcast platforms I mentioned at the top of the show. Check it out there. Subscribe. You can get it the day after you record, which is a huge advantage on the game. So make sure you're doing that. Again, subscribe to the Sky Guys if you want to keep up with all that. But that's it for the week in podcasting. Coming up next week, we are going to dive into the recap of Super Bowl annual tradition. Joe Dalizio, Sharp Terror Podcasting, back to break down the big game. Sam DeRosa doing commercials for halftime and more. Until then, enjoy the big game. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.